0: Sometimes you need to take control to make a difference. That's why with FlexPath from Capella University, you're in control. Set your own deadlines and leverage your experience to move at a pace that works for you. Discover a different way forward at capella.edu.
1: Virginia is for families, all sorts of families. My family, your family, your neighbor's family. For families of all species.
2: For beach chair sitting families and paddleboard standing families. For families that like to camp outside and the ones that would rather museum inside. Yep, we got plenty of those to choose from. For mountain hiking families and would rather hang out by the pool resort going families. Come to think of it, that's more my speed. So, in conclusion,
0: Virginia has all sorts of things your family could love. So, come love it for yourself.
2: All-Hit
3: Radio Welcome to the X-Zone A place where fact is fiction And fiction
4: is reality Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell And welcome back everyone This is the X-Zone And yep I am Rob McConnell, still here after 26 years of doing this show, Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern, not only on the Exxon Broadcast Network, but also on the Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, right across Europe on Radio X, the IPBN Network, Angel Broadcast Network, and of course, our good friends on iHeart Radio. If you'd like to send an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com on all social media sites, radio TV. And, um, if you'd like to find out what great programming we have available for you, 724-365 on the Exone Broadcast Network, visit dot net. Nation, my guest this hour is Debbie Chestnut, and uh, Debbie has been able to see and speak to ghosts her whole life, a paranormal researcher for more than 25 years, Debbie gives lectures and conducts workshops to help people better understand paranormal activity. Her books on the paranormal are Something Wicked, Stalking Shadows, How to Clear Your Home of Ghosts and Spirits, Is Your House Haunted, and Ghosts of Anchor Bay. She resides in the state of Michigan. And joining me now is Debbie Chestnut. And Debbie, welcome to the x Great talking to you. Thank you for taking time out of your day to join us tonight.
1: Well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. How are you doing tonight?
4: I, you're the psychic, you tell me.
1: I don't I I don't read the living. I just talk to
4: the dead. Oh, well, boy, am I ever glad you can't read me then. <laughs>
1: That's
4: the best news I've had in a long time. <laughs> How did you what at what tender age did you first start seeing and speaking to the the departed?
1: As long as I can remember, my my actual first memory Mhm. I think I was about four or five and I spent a lot of time at my great aunt's house and no one ever used the second floor but it was a great play if you place to play if you were a little kid. There was all kinds of great stuff up there.
5: Oh yeah.
1: And um there was a spirit up there named Nathaniel. And he was the first first one I remember because our friendship went on for many, many years. And um it was a really good first experience.
4: With your with your experience with Nathaniel, I believe you said? Mm-hmm. Did he ever change in age, or did his age stay the same as you grew older?
1: His age stayed the same as I grew older. Oh, wow.
4: And how did he happen to be on the other side at such a young age?
1: He um, had been born... Um, mentally disabled, challenged. And he was born in the Victorian era. Mm -hmm. And back then they kept um, people with those disabilities, either like up in an attic or away from the public. And his house had been torn down to make way for a gas station. And it was two houses, three houses away from my aunt's. And because the upstairs reminded him of where he'd been kept.
0: Yeah.
1: And there no one ever went up there except for me. Um he was very comfortable being there.
4: How long did the friendship last?
1: Um my aunt died when I was fifteen mm-hmm. and my dad sold the house and it ended. And then um when I got married at twenty, I think I was nineteen or twenty, um my dad sold us the house. And I remember walking in the house, and the first thing I did was run up to the second floor to see if Nathaniel was still there. And um, I walked actually into a big ghost bear hug, which kind of feels like walking into Jell-O. Right. And he was so happy to see me, and I was happy to see him. And he stayed for a while until my I had a, I had a baby, and my son started talking to him. And, um I said, "You know, it's not fair for you to be here. you really need to go. Um, you'll be made whole once you go into the light, And it took me a while to convince somebody actually did go into the light right. Um, and the day we moved out of that house, I was the last one in it, and I went upstairs just to make sure everything was out of the house. And when I turned around from my son's room, mm-hmm. Nathaniel was standing in the doorway, and he was whole, and he was oh, healed. Gosh. And he was happy, and he just looked at me, and I looked at him, and he went, thank you.
4: Wow, that's a great story. Please stand by. We've got to take a commercial break, Debbie. Exonation. Nation, if you'd like to find out more about Debbie Chestnut, visit her uh, Facebook page, The Paranormal Realm. And Debbie and I will be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away.
0: Help us help a veteran make it through the night.
4: Welcome back, everyone. Debbie Chestnut is our special guest. If you'd like to find out more about Debbie, uh, her just a uh, Check her out on Facebook. The Facebook page is The Paranormal Realm. So here you had this experience with this young Nathaniel, and, and I'm, I was really happy to hear it had a happy ending, but is he still around? Is he still tied to this to this realm that we call no. reality?
1: No, he, he crossed over.
4: Oh, that's good. That's yeah.
1: good. Yeah, he had just popped back in to say thank you, and then he was gone. He, he hasn't been back.
4: How did he first introduce himself to you?
1: He just kind of showed up. He was very childlike, even though he was, um, you know, adult size. Mm-hmm. He was just very childlike and, um, you know, he just wanted to play. He wanted someone to talk to. And then when he discovered I could talk to him, um, I would spend so much time up there. I'd just play and I'd color and we'd talk and, um, you know, my parents thought it, I had a really nice imaginary friend, and it was just easier to keep it that way. You know, this is back in the very early '60s, mm-hmm. so doing what I do normally would get you into a mental institution. So, <laughs>
4: <laughs> oh, come on.
1: No, really. I really? Mean, yeah, really. I mean, you know, if you do what I do. I mean, my parents, when they realized that I could really see them, they you know thought I was schizophrenic and I was drugged as psychologist after psychologist and um yeah, I came real close to being institutionalized.
0: My
4: goodness, I'm glad you weren't because what you and other people who do what you do are doing are doing a um uh, you're 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 helping people who who need help.
1: yes, that's yeah. how I look at it. I think yeah. it's a gift it is. And um, I don't charge for my services because I think it just should be shared and, um, you know, because it was given to me, I think I need to give it to other people, I think.
4: Yeah. Why do, why do you think, Debbie, that little spirits like Nathaniel and, and older spirits just remain on this side? What are they afraid of?
1: Sometimes they don't realize they're dead. Um, those are the most difficult, actually. hmm Um, some have a message they want to give to someone. Some of them just don't want to leave. They were happy, alive, and they just want to keep in contact with the living in some way. Some of them are vengeful. You know, they want revenge. They think someone wronged them. Um, like the movie Ghost, that was a perfect example of a Avenger spirit.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I remember um, that.
1: And then once whatever their need is, and I think my job um, with the spirit is to find out what what do you need, and once I know what they need, and I can figure out a way to give it to them, they're going to go, they're released, they're they're gone.
4: So how true to the the way that you see and hear those on the other side was ghost?
1: It was actually. In some ways, pretty accurate. I mean, people think uh, like I'm one of those really touchy-feely people, but if I meet someone I don't know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: if they approach me and say hi, I have to reach out and touch them because I've been tricked before. Wow. <laughs> yeah.
4: So you take that yeah. whole thing about reach out and touching someone a little bit further.
1: I have to like, touch their arm or something to make sure that they're real sometimes. Sometimes I can tell. Sometimes I can't. So, I mean, I've been... They've gotten me a couple times really well, and I just don't fall for that anymore (laughs) because it's quite embarrassing. So
4: how did you become, when did you start, or why did you start uh, ghost hunting?
1: Um, Actually, I started in college. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of my psych professors was a um, parapsychologist, and I'd never heard of one before. And he would come in on Monday mornings and he'd tell us about places he investigated. And I was so interested. And one day he held up a picture of a house he'd investigated. And I just locked into it. And I just started telling him everything about that house. Like who had lived there, who had died there, how they died. Um, I managed to clear the classroom. uh, Because I freaked people out. And then he, he said, you know, we need to talk. And he was the first person that ever, like, explained to me what it is I have and how to use it. And I started ghost hunting with him um, on the weekends. That was my first first taste of ghost hunting. And I was, I was hooked. That was it.
4: Why do they call it ghost hunting? Because usually when you go hunting deer, you kill it. You go hunting rabbits. You
1: kill it. You kill it. You go yeah, hunt a ghost. They're already dead. That's right. So why do why
4: why do they call it ghost hunting?
1: I know. I I don't know. I usually say like paranormal investigations yeah, like or that. something like that. But you know, everyone says ghost hunting, and because you are out looking for ghosts, mm-hmm. you know, you're hunting yeah, for I guess ghosts. So. I guess. Okay. You know, I kind of prefer paranormal investigator. It sounds uh, sounds professional.
4: Yeah.
1: Professional. Yeah.
4: So so let me ask you, what is the hardest part then of being a Professional paranormal investigator?
1: For me, the hardest part is seeing people being terrorized by spirits because they don't understand them. They don't understand what's going on. And educate, edu- educating these pe- some of these people, I think, is the hardest part for me because I have to make them understand something that either for religious reasons they have a hard time accepting or they never believed in, in ghosts or spirits, and they've all their beliefs have literally been shaken to their foundation. And I know what that feels like. I've had it happen. And it's just that, for me, that's the hardest part. Um, sometimes dealing with a violent spirit is difficult, um, only because I worry about the safety of my team.
4: Now, how many members of, are there in your team?
1: Um, I actually belong to two. I belong to, uh, Shadow Stalkers, which is my cousin and myself, and we're bringing in... A... Gone, okay, we're bringing in a couple more investigators, and, um, I belong to Black River Paranormal, and there's about nine or ten of us in Black River.
4: Right. So, how many investigations do you do in a month?
1: Um, actually, our busy season's just starting. We don't hunt a lot in the winter. Um... Uh, just because of the holidays and people are busy and the kids are going back to school. So I would probably do two or three a month.
4: Wow. I try
1: to keep it, you know, like it too. Like right now I'm working on another book. So I'm not doing any till after June 1st because that's when the book is due. So,
4: so do you do all of your investigations at night or do you do day and night?
1: I like to go during the day, um, like late afternoon. Yeah get the get the feel for the place kind of see it in the daylight you know I mean spirits they don't care if it's day or night if they're gonna be there they're gonna do whatever they do day or night um so I like to go during the day kind of talk to the people you know walk around get my base readings that kind of thing and then um you know, we'll usually go out and get, get a light bite to eat. Then we'll come back and we'll start the investigation at night. In the meantime, you know, we've got our equipment up. It's been running the whole time we've mm-hmm. been gone. And, um, you know, we do base readings again because things change at night. Your base readings are going to change a little bit. And... Um,
4: I, would ima- investi- I would imagine it's safer for you and your team to do it when they're, when you can see what you're up against as far as, you know, the location. And I could never understand why ghost investigators or researchers would actually want to do it at night, since the you ghost know, is going I, to be around. I, yeah.
1: I actually prefer the night,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, not for any paranormal reasons, just I just like the atmosphere at night. Everything's quieter. Yeah. You know, things are, the day's winding down. It's nice and quiet. Um and a lot of times the clients report to me that the activity is more prevalent at night. So I want to be there when they're experiencing at the times they've experienced activity. If it's during the day, I'm going to go during the day. You know, before I go out, it's a good two or three week lead time before I go out to a location unless it's an emergency. And I have them keep a journal. Tell me what happened. Tell me who was there. Tell me what time it was. Right. Tell me what happened. Tell me how it made you feel. You know, I have a detailed journal I make them keep and then they send it to me a couple of days before the investigation. And that kind of determines what time we're going to go out there. Cause then I have, I know what time, what times the spirit is more active.
4: Have you ever been scared during an investigation?
1: Oh, scared to death. <laughs> well,
4: let's no, Let's not go that far. <laughs> no, we need, scared. We need I, I've
1: been, I have, um, 30 years, there are two locations I have been chased out of. I've gone back, but I've been chased out of them at one point or another.
4: Could you share them with us?
1: Uh, The one was um, uh, the house on the hill, better known as the Hathaway House. It was a um, big, deserted, big mansion. It was huge, it was uh, 6,000 square feet, Mm -hmm. three floors. Um, 3,000 square feet was the addition someone had put on after the Hathaways had lived there. That was what I called the neutral zone. Spirits wouldn't go there. Right. So that told me that the spirits were there before 1905 because that's when the addition was put on. And um, a couple of spirits I figured out. One was the son of the original owner. One was his daughter. Um, Then I went in the basement. And the basement in that house, the one room in this basement in that house, I have never, I had never felt anything like that. Absolutely, never. What did it feel like? It felt, it felt like hell. Wow. It, um, well, the the freaky thing back up, the first time I walked into that house, I heard the spirit say, "Welcome home. We've been waiting for you." And I should have known then that I was in trouble and I ignored it. And the basement, it was the only room with a dirt floor. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was long. It was very long, narrow. And toward, because you walked in like at the back of the room, so toward the front of the room would have been the front of the house. And there was a hole in the wall that went under the front porch. And. I walked in that room and I said, you know, I have never felt anything. It felt dark. It felt heavy. Um, my fight or flight instinct immediately kicked in, and I didn't know why because I couldn't, I couldn't decipher the energy. Like I couldn't get images. I couldn't zone in on it. So I started walking in further into this room toward this hole and in the wall. And something came at me. I couldn't even see it. It was just a wall of energy. Everything went bright red. Then it went black. Then it went white. Oh, my gosh. A split second. And I was out of there.
4: (laughs) Speaking about out of there, we've got to get out of here right now because we're coming up against the news break at the bottom of the hour, Debbie. Don't go anywhere. Please stand by. Explanation, Debbie Chestnut is our special guest this hour. And you can find out more about Debbie and... uh her cruise at at, let me see uh, the paran- uh, the Paranormal Realm on Facebook Gosh, she's got me scared I'll be back <laughs> on the other side of this break as we continue here in the exome from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada Don't go away Debbie Chestnut is our guest on Facebook. You can find her at The Paranormal Realm. Debbie, during the commercial break, you and I were talking about uh, your five-year encounter with this demonic entity. During those five years, did you ever find out who it was or why they were targeting you?
1: I found out out who it was. Only because I had a very good friend who happened to be a demonologist, and it showed itself to me at one point.
4: What did it look it, like?
1: It looked I only saw it from what you would call the waist up I guess right um, the head was like a wolf um, a huge wolf um big teeth um the it had hooves. I remember the front hooves. Um it was kind of like a grey blackish color. Mm-hmm. Um, it had like these horrible gold red eyes. And uh it it scared the crap out of
0: me. <laughs> it was
1: horrible. It was
4: why did it, it target you?
1: It targeted me well, I have to say, in all fairness, I have to be fair, it played fair. It gave me so many warnings. And so many chances to walk away, and I didn't take it.
4: What kind of chances or
1: warnings were you given? um, When I first walked up to the house, before I even walked through the door, um, I heard like a big growl, like a Rottweiler or a huge dog. And I asked my friend who was with me if the people that own the house had a dog, and she said no, and we didn't see any anywhere around. That was warning number one. Um, warning number 2 was when it rushed at me in the basement and I came back. Um I can't remember the other one. It gave me a lot of chances to walk away and I didn't. And that's because demons have one rule that they have to abide by. What's that? They they cannot enter your life unless they're invited. However, they take that rule literally. Like if you move into a house and there's a demonic entity in it, even if you don't know it's a demonic entity, if you think it's just a ghost and you don't leave the house, to them you've accepted it into your life. That's how literal they are. So what so did, by, I'm sorry. By, by me going back to the demonic, I had accepted it.
4: So what did you and this demonic entity do for five years?
1: Um... I um I was really stupid. I kept going over there poking with a stick to see what it did, if how it would react, because...
4: You're one brave I wa- lady.
1: I wanted to learn about it. You know, I'd never run into one. Um, I wanted to know everything I could find out about it. And um, it would react. And then it started going after my friends. Um, you know, I'd take someone not in the house, just drive them by the house and show them the house. I wouldn't take anyone in there. And mm-hmm. um, a couple of days later, they'd be in a car accident or someone, one of their family members would be in a serious car accident or just something would happen. Someone would get really sick or so. So I quit talking about the house. That was the demon isolating me.
4: So and by, what, so the, by what, the
1: time I realized mm-hmm. what was going on, I was like a spider in its web. I had to fight my way out.
4: How did you do that?
1: Um, First of all, I knew its name. Um, Its name was Amon. He's a lower prince. He commands 30 legions of demons. Each legion is 10,000 demons. So approximately 300,000 demons he commands. Um, I um, came up with a plan. I said, this has got to end. Because he was starting to attack me at home. Oh, boy. And um, I was afraid for my family.
4: I
0: said, i got to get
1: rid of this thing. So I came up with a plan. I um, drew on a lot of different belief systems and religions and came up with a ritual to get rid of them. And I was just about there. I was right in the middle of the ritual, and I stopped. And he looked at me, and I looked at him, and he said, why did you stop? I said, because if I get rid of you, I'm no better than you, and I'm way better than you. Now, if I had the chance, I would have gotten rid of him.
4: Has he come after you since?
1: He shows up occasionally, once or twice a year. He'll pop in. I'd feel his energy. And I'll go, yeah, I know you're here. You know, I'm not afraid of you anymore. And he'll leave. So it's just... uh, no matter where you go, no matter what you do, I could always find you. Kind of thing. It's an intimidation tactic that's common among demons, and um, I just don't fall for it anymore. I'm not afraid of him anymore because I know I have the power to get.
4: Now, what was the second one that you were telling us about?
1: The second demonic um, was in a house we investigated. Mm-hmm. Um, it on the property. There was I don't know. It was forty fifty acres, um, and we'd always heard rumors that there had been an old church on the property somewhere um, that had been deserted. And then it was taken over by a satanic cult. And this was the property. Well, we never found the church, but it was way too much property for us to cover. And, uh, it was in the house. It was bothering one of the teenage girls. And, um, you know, I, I had to go in and get rid of it. I, I had to get rid of it. And, uh, we were we were getting ready to do the ritual, and uh, I walked by the ghost box, which I didn't know James had left on, and this demonic voice comes out and says, you're going to die. And I just looked at the box, and I went, yeah, you're right, I am, but it's not going to be tonight. And I got rid of that one. The second house I got uh, <laughs> run out of um, it was actually a church. I got run out of a church. Um, by a very, a very dark entity. I wouldn't go as far as to say it was demonic, but it was, uh, it was a dark entity. And I wasn't expecting it in the church, and it caught me off guard. And I, I ran. I just ran until I could like regroup and try to figure out why there's a dark entity in a church. And uh, it was actually up in the steeple area of the old part of the church. It was an interesting case. There were four, three or four spirits there. That was a good case.
4: How does the rest of your group react to these kind of actions from spirits and, and demons? Like, you seem to be pretty cool about this all. Are they the same?
0: Um,
1: you know, I think over the years, I think you just have to be that way, because otherwise it'll make you crazy. Um, you know, the team's really good. We have code words. Um, like, if I go through a place and yeah. it's not something we're expecting... Um, I'll say a code word. They know to leave the house immediately. Meet me outside. We're going to regroup, right. and I'll tell them what's going on.
4: So, how do you guys protect yourselves from these these um, negative that's forces? Interesting,
1: because well. we're all from have so many different belief systems. Like you know, we have a Buddhist. We have um, right. We have a pagan. We have a Wiccan. We have a Catholic. We have a Presbyterian. We have me that's you've, more you've, spiritual than religious. You've got so, every
4: base covered.
1: Yeah, every yeah. member of the group has their own thing they do to keep themselves protected.
4: And what do you do?
1: Me, um, I I keep up a very strong wall, <laughs> very, um, very strong protection, very strong shield. Right. And uh, the only thing I find that with the gift, if I have the shield up real hard, mm-hmm. I can't feel or see what I need to feel and see. So a lot of times I just drop shields and go in and because I have to be able to, you know, communicate with these things or at least figure out what's there, but I can, I can throw up my shield at a second's notice. It's the team I'm more, I'm more concerned about. My thing is, um, you know, if this if something's going to come after anybody, I want it to come after me and I want it to come after my team.
4: What does your family think about your exploits as a, uh, paranormal um, investigator?
1: You know, I keep them out of it a lot. Mm-hmm. um, you know, my son and daughter, they know what I do. They're cool with it. Um, you know, they just don't, it's just not talked about much. Um, my husband's an engineer and uh, he says everything can, can be explained by science. And I just look at him and say, yeah, explain what I do. And he goes, well, yeah, I can't.
4: Does, so, does he ever go with you on any of your. No, no way.
1: No, he never goes. Um,
4: that would be interesting seeing a spirit or being faced with a demonic entity and, you know, you poking <laughs> him in the herbs say, okay, guy, now explain that scientifically. Yeah,
1: explain that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I've asked him to go. I'm like, you know, we could use a really good tech person. Yeah. You know, <laughs> just come with us and set up the equipment, hang out, you know, watch the cameras, you wow. know, and uh, he he won't go. He won't go.
4: Why do you think here we are in the year 2017 that so many people are showing just so much interest in the paranormal, especially ghosts and ghost hunting?
1: I think a lot of it has to do with all the television shows that have been on TV for the mm-hmm. past few years. Um, I think that's the majority of it, They've brought it more mainstream than right. it ever has been before.
4: But as a professional, doing what you do all these years... Do you find these television shows are an asset or a hindrance to a professional investigator like yourself?
1: Sometimes, depending on the show, Mm -hmm. um, sometimes they're an asset because some of the shows really do educate people in some way about the spirits and ghosts. And in that way, it's good. But in other ways, um, you know, you have some people on the shows, some shows that go in there and they hot dog it and they're provoking and they're antagonizing and, um,
4: I find that totally disrespectful when they do. I
1: do too. I, I won't do that. Yeah. Um, there's only been one spirit I provoked, but I did it for a very good reason.
4: Well, not to mention the demon you provoked for five years.
1: Well, yeah, that too, but
4: man, um, you're, you're, you're a ballsy lady. I'll tell you. I
1: am. I am. I'm just really stupid. No, 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 no,
4: you're, you're, you're far from being stupid. You're far from being stupid.
1: No, I I do have a lot of guts. You know, there's not that much that, there's not that much I could say scares me anymore. Wow. You know, I mean, not that I don't get scared, because I do. I still get scared sometimes. Mm-hmm. But, you know, fear is the enemy. And with some types of spirits, if you show fear, they have you.
4: They feed you off know? your fear.
1: Yeah, they feed on yeah. fear. It makes them more powerful. So I try to really hide the fear. My team's really good about hiding fear. Mm-hmm. Um, if it gets overwhelming for them, they'll just come up to me and go, I need a break. And it's like, go ahead. And they go outside, they walk around, they, you know, I go out and check on them. Are you okay? What's going on? You know, you don't have to go back in if you don't want to. You know, I'm not going to make someone go back into There's a location no. that's, freaking them out or making them afraid, of course. And uh you know, we're really good about that. We're real cognizant of
4: others' needs.
1: Of others' needs and um you know, I have to say though I have a really really good we have a really good team of investigators and um there's not much that rattles them anymore.
4: Sounds like you've got a great gang, and you and I have to take our final break. Please stand by, Debbie. Exonation, Nation, Debbie Chestnut is our guest. Her Facebook page is The Paranormal Realm, and we're talking about ghost hauntings, things that go bump in the night, with one tough cookie here, and again, her name is Debbie Chestnut. This is the Exone. I am Rob McConnell, and Debbie and I will be back on the other side of this break as we wrap up this hour from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. All right, just imagine this explanation. You're a ghost researcher, paranormal investigator. You come across a demonic entity or a spirit. If that was me, I'd run. And I'd say to hell with it. But oh no, what does Debbie Chestnut do? This little pistol that we have on the show this hour. She provokes it for five years. Well, no, she she banters with it for five years. <sighs> That's like that would be like watching The Exorcist for five years <laughs> solid,
1: oh, come on, The Exorcist is one of the best comedies ever made,
0: yeah, yeah, and mm. hey, you want
1: to hear the worst part about that house? yeah, yeah, I have some of the bricks from when they tore it down. why Because <laughs> <laughs> I love that house, it has the energy in it. I can feel the energy of the house in it.
4: Well, we know um, we know for a fact that the house that was shown in the film was uh, that was supposed to be in Washington, I think, and the actual house is somewhere out out uh, in St. Louis. I Missouri. think so. Yeah. Yeah. So, how different from the 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 sensationalistic Hollywood movies is what you do? Is it totally different? I mean, it's we like talked about day. ghost.
1: It, t- it is like night and day. <laughs>
4: Like, uh, are you like those Ghostbuster ladies that that were in the theater last
1: year? No, no, nothing, nothing. You know, I'm very low key. You know, take the team in, put up our equipment, and um, you pol- know, we pol- spend cage. hours mm-hmm. just talking to air. You know, hoping something happens, trying to get something to happen. Um, you know, you got to figure we have four video cameras six tape recorders going. So for a four hour investigation, we probably have a hundred hours of audio and video to go through.
4: Wow. And how long does that take you?
1: Um, It takes us about two weeks to get through everything. And then, um, you know, we mark stuff, we keep logs. Mm -hmm. And uh, if we find something then we'll send that clip to one of the other investigators and go, Hey, are you hearing what I'm hearing? We always check and balance ourselves.
0: That's you a know, good idea. So it's
1: it's um, you know it's not as exciting as it sounds. <laughs> it's fun, but it you know. So so, so, so tell so tell
4: me, have you ever done an exorcism,
1: or or have you seen an exorcism? And if so, do they work? I haven't. I don't do what's called an exorcism, like you see on TV. Yeah. Um, I have my own ritual I use that I use to get rid of. Um, um, negative entities um, entities that aren't negative I generally try to talk to and find out what it wants and we figure out a solution and then it leaves on its own I'm not going to force it out if it's a negative entity it's going to be gone I, I, I just don't play and um, you know as far as the Catholic rites of exorcism mm-hmm. you know it's what everyone's most familiar with yeah I think it can work you know I think it can work I, why
4: Why is it some people get possessed and other people don't?
1: Um, I think a lot depends on the personality makeup of the person. You know, if they're a negative person, mm-hmm. if they use drugs, if they abuse alcohol, um, if they have a lot of negative emotions themselves, like a violent temper, um, you know, those kind of things are attractive to a, a demon. You know, if they're a weak person, if they're... Um, you know, there's a lot of different things that can pull it in, and it's going to be a target. You know, so it's going to pick a target. Um, I hate it. I hate it when they go after kids. You know, you don't go after a little kid.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. But a lot of times I find that there's something going on in the house that attracted it there in the first place.
4: Is there, any, to... is there anything that someone can do to protect their home against the negative entities?
1: Um. I'd recommend uh, burning sage or get a smudge stick and smudge your house. I do mine probably every other week. I smudge my house. Um, I burn a lot of frankincense and myrrh incense. People can do that. I find that's very effective. Um, Even when I do radio shows and I know what I'm going to be talking about, Mm -hmm. I still have the incense burning. Um, You know, just. Be positive. Be proactive. If you think you have a spirit in your house, that's my biggest piece of advice, is don't be afraid. Be proactive. And if it's, if it's being violent mm-hmm. and throwing people downstairs or scratching people or, you know, in some way you feel physically threatened, then you need to seek help. Don't try to handle it yourself.
4: Do, do, does having a crucifix in your home or having holy water actually fight against evil?
1: I don't know whether it fights against it. Mm -hmm. I think it can um, help, although, you know, I've walked into houses that have been filled with religious uh, paraphernalia, crosses, Bibles, bowls of salt, bowls of holy water, and I've seen crosses turn upside down. So, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with, the people that are there and don't just have it out for show, have it out because you really believe in it. Don't put it out because you're scared. Mm -hmm. Um, If it's like anything, if you don't believe 100% in what you're doing, don't do it. And that's, that's my philosophy for ghost hunting. And when I try to get rid of a spirit, if I don't believe 100% that I can get rid of that spirit and I don't believe in what I'm doing, I might as well give up now because it's not going to work.
4: What kind of person makes the best paranormal investigator? What does, what does that person have to have in them?
1: Um, I think what really makes a good investigator is a healthy dose of skepticism. You know, don't believe everything yeah. you see. Don't believe everything you hear. Um, you know, really think about what's going on in that house. Look for natural causes, um, organic solutions. Um, I can't tell you how many ghosts we've debunked because there were high EMFs in the house, because their circuit breaker wasn't, their circuit breaker box was uh, had problems. And uh, whoa,
4: whoa, whoa. wait a sec, how does that affect? Uh, do people think they have ghosts in their house if there's yeah, too much? high
1: EMFs? That's why yeah. you hear like a lot of ghosts um, are in basements. Everyone mm-hmm. thinks their ghosts is in the basement.
4: That's where the uh, they, fuse boxes. Usually-
1: feel it by the washer and dryer. Well, normally by the washer and dryer is your circuit box. Yeah. And if the circuit box or something wrong with the circuit box, it's going to emanate high electromagnetic force fields. And science has proven that the EMF high EMFs has a profound effect on the human body. It can make you feel like you're being watched. It can make you paranoid. Um, it could make you feel like you're being touched. Hmm. A lot of the things that mimic what you would think would be a ghost, but it's really due to high EMF. So that's the first thing we check when we go into a house. We take our EMF readers, and we head for the circuit box.
4: How do people react to you when you come back up and say, listen, we found what the problem is. There's an electrical problem. Here's, the, or here's our EMF reader. Here's the reading. This is what's normal, and this is where you are. How do they react to that?
1: Some people are very relieved and some people are angry. No, there's a ghost here. I know there's a ghost here. You're wrong. So, you know, we'll do the ghost hunt just Mm -hmm. to appease them. And then in the report I send them, I'll tell them, you know, we did not find any ghost. There's no spirit there. You have an electrical problem. Please, please get a hold of a qualified licensed electrician because it's very dangerous you to have that in your house it could there could be an electrical fire etc
4: exactly exactly you know
1: so um you know i'm not going to get into a big confrontation with a client who's bound to determine there's a ghost there sure how do you, you know? de-
4: how do you deal how do you deal with skepticism in general
1: you know i i just tell them like if they can i i mean i have people come at me all the time and say i don't believe in what you do and i'm like that's fine mm-hmm you know, you're entitled to your opinion, just like I'm entitled to my opinion. And, you know, I respect your beliefs. I beliefs. I just ask you to respect mine in return.
4: What are your final thoughts for people listening tonight? What what are the do's and what are the don'ts when it comes to being a paranormal investigator? Because I'm sure there's people out there tonight who, after hearing you talk, are saying, "Hey, this is something I'd like to do."
1: Don't go in it for the wrong reasons. Go in it because you have a thirst for knowledge. You really want to find out what's going on. You really want to try to advance the field of paranormal research. You really want to find evidence. Don't go in it because it's fun. Um, Don't go in it for entertainment. Don't go into it because you want to be scared. Um, If You want to be scared to go to a movie.
4: Yeah, I don't know anybody who would actually take fun in. I mean, besides you, of course. Taunting a demonic uh, entity for five years,
1: you know, and I would also say you know have a strong set of instincts if something doesn't feel right, mm-hmm. something's not right.
4: Where can people take courses on becoming a, a paranormal investigator?
1: um you know the Bishop Long teaches a really good course um, online. I can't remember his website, but he's on Facebook hes find right. bishop Bishop James long. he's been on a lot of the paranormal shows um he actually has a really good course and he covers um you know angels and demons and paranormal investigation and um it's a very it's actually a very good course um James von Prague also teaches some courses that are very good I've actually taken a couple of his they were very good
4: hey Deb I hate to do this but we've run out of time for tonight I want to thank you so much for joining us it's been a great pleasure talking to you you little spunky devil you. <laughs>
1: Thank you for having hey, me. Hey, listen,
4: do me a favor. Take care of yourself and come back and see us again.
1: You too. Thank All right. you. Bye-bye, Deb. Bye.
4: Exo Nation, one little pistol there, I'll tell you. I wouldn't want to be a demonic entity against her. No way. I'll stay my distance and I'll stand the hole in the wall. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break as we continue. Here in the Exo from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. And for more information about Debbie Chestnut, visit her Facebook page, The Paranormal Realm. We'll be back on the other side of this break, don't go away.
2: At Kroger, we believe it takes the right team to bring you the freshest produce. That's why we partner with farmers who grow only the best, because that level of teamwork means better, fresher options time and time again. From fresh berries to fresh tomatoes, we know the farm is where it all grows. From their farms to your forks, working with farmers is what it takes to be fresh for everyone. Kroger, fresh for everyone.